so the reading today is from Luke 13, verses 10 to 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said all this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Beth. Thank you for your honesty. I should ask for a show of hands, shouldn't I? Have we all got our Bibles with us this morning? But I won't do that. Don't want to embarrass anybody. Lovely to see you. Thanks, Maze, as well, for sharing with us in ministry in song. So let's turn then to this. Perhaps, for some of us, unfamiliar story about the crippled woman healed on the Sabbath. Last week I was called to the PICU in the Royal Glamorgan Hospital. For the uninitiated, PICU is an acronym for Psychiatric Intensive Care Unit. My first thoughts of some of the patients on this sterile, clinical, depressing ward was, wow, just look how bent over they are. And it had nothing to do with age, because the vast majority of them were much younger than I. They sat They stood, they walked, bent over, head down, shoulders haunched, back bent. Securing eye contact was nigh on impossible. I wonder, have you ever seen someone who walked around with a stoop? Bad posture, slumped shoulders with eyes that will not look you in the face. Because they only see their own feet. I've seen, tragically, a lot of people like this. Over the years, I've known a lot of teenagers to act this way. Back in 1997, my church in Hesham, North Lancashire, sent a ministry team to downtown St. Louis in America. Upon their return, one of the team members commented during testimony and report 
how a lot of older African Americans appeared to walk with a stoop. What might cause a person to be like this? Low self-esteem could cause a person to walk bent over. Guilt can be such a heavy load to bear that it might cause a person's back to bow. Abuse can make people haunched over. Have you ever seen a puppy that had been severely abused? Bent over, head down, cowering. Afraid and fainting. Well, people can be like this. People are like this. Depression can cause people to slump their shoulders, shuffle their feet and look at the ground. Our scripture passage tells us the story of an unnamed woman who is clearly burdened. This woman is weighed down under the circumstances of her life. Jesus says of her in verse 16 of Luke's Gospel 13 that she had been bound by Satan for 18 long years. Bound by Satan. Now, this resonates with me. Have we not all been bound by Satan in some way or another at one time or another? We live in a broken and lost world, do we not? 2017 is a year that will be permanently etched upon the hearts and minds of my family and I as the year when we were bound by Satan because of the heinous bombing in Manchester. And we're not alone, for we are joined by many other individuals and families whose lives have been bound by Satan, blighted by terror attacks, criminal activities, and all manner of terrible tragedies like the Grenfell fire in London. Just this last week, of course, another terror occasion there in Barcelona. Two simple thoughts as we consider our text this morning. Firstly, I want us to note the nature of the woman's condition. And secondly, the nurture of our Lord's call. Very simple. The nature of, firstly, the woman's condition. Verse 16, we read it. She was bound by Satan. In verse 11, Luke attributes her condition that had a physical manifestation to a spirit. 
Now, the King James Version and the Old Revised Standard Version translate the Greek there much more explicitly, calling it a spirit of infirmity. I believe Luke is endeavoring subtly to tell us that this woman had much more than a physical problem. In this case, the pain of her condition was caused by an evil spirit. Now it's open to interpretation. And you might read, therefore, other interpretations. It is my conviction, however, that Luke is not talking here about demon possession. Like we see with the Gerasene demoniac in Luke chapter 8, for instance. Notice, and significantly, I believe, Jesus later describes this woman in verse 16 as a daughter of Abraham. And on the Sabbath, she was found to be worshipping Yahweh at the synagogue. I don't consider her condition to be one of demon possession, but I would consider this to be more like what I would like to call spiritual oppression. It is more like the torment that Job endured when Satan afflicted his body. J.B. Phillips, interesting translation of the New Testament, reads that the woman had been doubled over due to some psychological cause. Physical manifestation, certainly psychological, spiritual. Whatever your interpretation of the circumstance might be, it is clear from the text that this woman's problem is severe, and it had been severe for years. For 18 years, she had been walking around looking at people's feet. For 18 years, she was unable to see the smile on the faces of strangers as they passed by. Some unnamed burden had sucked her strength. She could no longer stand up straight. And we can probably and pretty safely assume that this woman was unhappy. And friends, it is hard to serve the Lord When one is unhappy. When we are unhappy, we are often focusing upon ourselves. We become self-absorbed, self-consumed. And it's hard to focus on God and on others when we are unhappy, when we are depressed, when we are bowed over with guilt and with shame, when... A spirit of affliction negatively impacts our hearts, our minds, our lives, our bodies. As we explore this scripture, I want us to call to mind our burdens. My friend, my brother, my sister in Christ, what is it? That weighs you down this morning. What makes you 
feel defeated? What are those things in our lives that sap our strength, our vitality, our energy? Some of us may have a besetting sin that we simply cannot overcome in spite of our best efforts. Some of us look to our future and see nothing but a question mark. Some of us feel like outcasts within our communities or perhaps at work or at school. Some of us have a dysfunctional friend or a relative who completely drains us from day to day. Friends, it's impossible to experience the abundant life of Jesus, the life that Jesus promised us when we're living as those who are stooped over. Consequently, Not only do we miss out on life, life in all of its fullness, says Jesus, life more abundantly, but others miss the blessing that our love and our care could bring to their lives. I was speaking with someone this past week who was dealing with terrible depression and anxiety. She doesn't like herself very much at all. She has convinced herself that she is no good. She is not worthwhile. She has no value. She lives with terrible low self-esteem. And as a result, she has chosen, it seems, to opt out of life. To shut herself away. She has given up on her faith in God. She says she no longer believes in Jesus. She is quite literally living a personal hell. She is bound by Satan. Ah, yes. She has a testimony of saving grace. But she is bound. She is also an extraordinarily talented musician. In past years, one of the most brilliant flautists I've ever had the privilege to listen to. She brought pleasure to hundreds, thousands of people. But not so now. She's bound. The nurture of our Lord's call then. Look now at verses 12 and 13. Notice something significant. The woman does not call attention to herself. We do not read of the woman crying out to Jesus, Lord Jesus have mercy upon me. No. Jesus notices her. Hallelujah. Jesus calls out, reaches out to her. How wonderful. How precious. 
What a blessed Lord and Savior we have. And in reaching out to her, of course, he is omniscient, he is all-knowing. He understands her need, perhaps better than she understands it herself. And he sees, I believe, beyond the, the physical masquerade, the bent back. And he understands the inner needs, a spiritual affliction. And he frees her from her bondage. By freeing this woman, friends, from the evil spirit, Jesus, I believe, demonstrates his authority over the spiritual realm. He demonstrates that the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, has come. He demonstrates the truth that Satan has been bound and the kingdom of God victorious. Think back to Matthew chapter 12 when the Pharisees accused Jesus of being in league with demons. Remember that occasion? In verse 28 of Matthew 12, Jesus replies to the accusation, but if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Hallelujah. And he goes on in verse 29 to say, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? My friends, Satan... He is that strong man to which Jesus alludes here. Jesus has bound Satan. And Jesus unbinds those who put their hope and faith and trust in him. The kingdom of God has come and has freed us from spiritual bondage. Hallelujah. And not only have we been freed from spiritual bondage, but we've also been freed from the bondage of the law. Look at verse 14. Again, it's a telling account. The synagogue leader responds to me, it seems, in a very interesting way. Because he doesn't address Jesus personally. His beef, so to speak, is with Jesus. But he doesn't dare to address Jesus. He addresses the crowd. He addresses the crowd. He doesn't refute what Jesus has done. How could he? He was the woman standing up straight, delivered, praising God. He addresses the crowd. And he says, he is my teaching. What we see here, friends, is a battle of two authorities. The synagogue leader desperately trying to hold on to his control by binding the people to his narrow interpretation of the law. And Jesus, Jesus proclaiming freedom, freedom to follow the intent of the law. What would you prefer? I know what I prefer. I've come across many like this religious leader, intent on dotting the theological I's and crossing the theological T's, intent on getting the theology right, the doctrine pure, 
intent on pressing the, the law. But Paul says, does he not? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And just as Christ delivers this woman from, from spiritual bondage, so he, he endeavors to deliver the, 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 the worshippers in the synagogue from legal bondage. And there are many, I believe, in these areas, these valleys, bound by legalism. Bound by traditionalism. Bound by denominationalism. Oh, but what does the Constitution say, Pastor? Blow the Constitution. There, I've said it. I've said it. And it's on tape. What matters, my friends, is not that we adhere to every letter in our Constitution. What matters is that men and women, boys and girls, who are currently bound because of a spirit of infirmity, are delivered, are released, are set free. Is that not what Christ is teaching in these verses? Paul's whole discourse in Galatians about freedom from bondage under the law culminates in that wonderful scripture I quoted, Galatians 5.1. Put it up if you can, Judith. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Allow that scripture to, to penetrate afresh. You know it. I, I guess you will. But are you free? Are you know the scripture, my friends, but do you know its reality? Are you free? Or are you bound? Metaphorically or maybe even physically, you walk with a bit of a stoop under the weight of burden and pain and displeasure and depression and anxiety. And I may be bound by the opinions of men. Oh, how many people are bound by the opinions of others. We live in a day and age, don't we, where we live our lives depending upon what other people think about us. My friends, that's bondage. That's bondage. In fact, we define our very existences by what other people think about us. How sad. It is for freedom. The Christ has set us free. Hallelujah. So why are you still bound, my friends? Why? What does Christ's victory hold for you and I? One of my favorite scriptures is 11, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice that tense there. I will give you rest. When, Lord? When will you give me rest? When you come again in your glory? Well, yes, but notice the tense. I will give you. Now, Greek scholars know that that's known as the indicative. Present continuous. I will give you rest. When he comes again in his glory? Hallelujah. For he'll wipe every tear from my eye. There'll be no more pain, no sorrow, no death. But I will... Present continuous, indicative. I will give you 
rest. When? When? Are you awake? When will he give us rest? Hallelujah. He will give me rest today. What's the date? 20th of August, 2017, 11.31. I'm counting. We're getting there. Three minutes? Three minutes? Three minutes? Can I ask? Can I ask? Jesus says, I will give you rest. Do you know that rest today? Or are you bent over? Are you bound by a spirit of infirmity? I'm not talking about possession, oppression. Have you allowed somehow, some way, the devil to oppress you? To encroach upon you? To rob you of your joy? To steal you of your peace? Might not be your fault. Often isn't. Doesn't matter. You're still bound. I've got to finish. Some of you remember, I'm sure, the 1995 American epic war film, Braveheart. Directed by and starring Mel Gibson, that wonderful Scottish guy. Oh, he's not Scottish, is he? Nor was his accent really, but (laughs) hey-ho. Gibson portrayed William Wallace, the late 13th century Scottish warrior who led the Scots in the first war of Scottish independence against King Edward I of England. Allow me by way of conclusion to remind you of a scene from that film. The scene is of the first major battle between the Scottish and the English armies. The Scottish lords are preparing to negotiate a treaty. And the soldiers, disgusted by the lords, but also afraid of the superior English army, are starting to turn away and go home. Then William Wallace rides up with his men, and he gives a rousing speech. I'll paraphrase it for the sake of time. He says, yes, you can run away and live, but you live forever defined by your fear. On your dying day, he says, you will look back and want to come back to this moment and say to the English, no. And he closes his speech by riding his horse, remember, wind whipping his hair, bellowing out, they can take away our lives, but they cannot take away our freedom. My friends, the world can burden us. The world can weigh us down and abuse us. The world can even take away our lives. But if we are in Christ this morning, it cannot take away our freedom unless we let it. Unless we let it. Are you bound? It is for freedom. The Christ has set you free. Today, and of course in the wonderful day to come, I have come to give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and pleasant,
my burden is light. 